we're seeing the rise of CS leaders for the first time move into the role of the chief revenue officer. It's becoming a trend as markets shift their focus from top of the funnel onto the customer lifetime value. It's created a new job description for the CRO 2.0. I spoke with two legendary CROs, both former customer success leaders who tell us about their journey from VP of CS into the CRO 2.0 role. I also think the skill set has changed. There was a time when the hand of the revenue organization, typically with the CRO title, was a mathematics expert. And it was all a formula driven. I need this in the number of territories. I need this many people in the territory. I need that many AEs, IFs, and SDRs. And it's all a mathematical ratio. And I will get the sales outcome at the end of the day. That's short term thinking. That's only thinking about landing. That isn't thinking about value. That isn't thinking about the longer term outcome, which the world has now told us is the right fit to do. Honestly, I feel the best CROs always thought in the longer term, but we rewarded the short term behavior and we rewarded this arithmetic sales organizations that were not customer centric at all. They were very inward facing. And so we're seeing the outcome of that. You grew up in the school of customer success. And now you are the chief revenue officer of one of the most prominent companies in the world. Tell us about that climb. What was it like to get there? I did grow up in the school of customer success, but I feel like I grew up in customer value. And to me, the transition to the CRO role has been, how do I take that perspective that I had in the CS world, which is, are we delivering value or not? And you should not giving at least 7 to $10 worth of value back to the customer. For my particular journey, I am very lucky and privileged to have found incredible teams to be part of throughout my career, starting with Relate IQ. It was the foundation to really grow to the place where I currently find myself in as Chief Revenue Officer at Hopin. The community engagement platform went to market in 2020 when the pandemic was very much uh, a reality in all of our lives and enabled teams and communities to come together. Uh, with virtual tools so that they could feel closer in a time that was really difficult for teams to be able to do that. Over time, that journey has, of course, evolved and transformed as the pandemic has abated. So I've been very much a student and a protagonist in a lot of the changes that we have done and executed for Hopin to continue to be successful and to continue to serve our customers. It was a bit of a J-curve. Molly Graham, who is a great leader in the Valley, has talked about this difference between stairs and J-curve opportunities in terms of growth. And while I had been responsible for revenue numbers in terms of renewals in the past in my career throughout most of my leadership career, I've never been responsible for the new business and the growth side directly. I've never owned that number. And it created a really interesting opportunity to really jump in and try to translate some of these skills that had made me a student of customer success and really passionate about that world into sales. And the biggest goal that I had was to understand how do you connect those teams even further? How do you make sure that there's a silver thread from the moment that you start talking to a customer about discovery all the way through retention in a more cohesive way? And Poppin, at the time, because it was going through this transformation, and we were one of many companies that were starting to see this trend of a new business being a little bit more challenging, customers being really where the revenue ultimately lands. At the end of the day, the company created the right space and forum for me to be able to jump into that opportunity. But it was a challenge. We had just gone through a transformation in terms of teams. Obviously, we're adjusting as everybody else was to changing demand with the market with everything that happened post-pandemic in 21 and 22. That in itself created uncertainty in terms of what the team was going to be experiencing, how we were going to go to market, 
it felt like a yeah. really big challenge. And I've been very lucky to run towards challenges in my career and found some of the biggest learning opportunities. And that felt right as the next step. Most VPs of CS, who I would say, I call them service leaders. They're all about onboarding, implementation, customer is not happy. Let me make sure we have good NPS scores and good SLAs on response time. Like, What does outcome delivery mean for you that may not necessarily mean the same thing for other VPs of CS? That's a really interesting question. Ultimately, as a leader in the company, I'm there to create shareholder value. And I look to see what is the most efficient way to create that value. Then I break it down, boiling down into metrics like net revenue retention. How much money did you make? And then have you been growing that money, not letting churn come in the way? So I look at those metrics and I say, what can I be doing to drive all of it? It doesn't matter that my title says customer success. I'm always partnering with the person that is trying to convey the value of the software that is the seller to the buyer. And I'm ultimately a seller myself, no matter which part of the organization that I'm in. Once that sales process is clear and we are getting really good bookings, getting really good ARR, I'm then now trying to backstop by saying, hey, what exactly did we promise? And are we going to be able to measurably give that value back? So my job always went broader than the tactics and went always bigger than that to understand, are we giving them this whole lifetime value? Are we thinking about it as an organization? How we land the customer and how we drive those outcomes. The transition for me was easier because I felt always comfortable being in all parts of the GTM organization. I didn't feel myself limited. And I would say that it's also because of the cultures and the companies that I was in. I don't think it's equally possible in every organization to be able to do that. I would say in some ways I was fortunate, but you have to earn your place as well. You can't just show up, say, hey, I want to be part of this part of the business. You have to drive sufficient value so people see, okay, this is the contribution that the post-sales part of the organization is bringing in. We need to think about that perspective and keep driving. As a CRO in the role that you're in, owning quite a bit of AEU, that requires a discipline and understanding of the operational rigor that traditional sales teams have. Weekly revenue meeting, forecast management, force management, command of the message, discovery training, challenger sales, medic frameworks. Besides having people, are there things that you're doing to really tactically understand that side of the house more? And part of the reason why I'm asking that is I've always found you to be more of a commercially oriented CS leader. The challenge and opportunity that CS leaders have is to step into that CRO role they haven't been trained for the last decade to understand some of these kind of sales skills, especially if they own renewals. So given that you have transitioned, like how have you equipped yourself with that knowledge that just takes a lot of training? Yeah, two things. I think you have to lean towards your strength. And I think my strengths in this particular transition were around process and how do we make sure that, to your point, all these different components that make a sales team successful we picked the things that would eventually enable us to create a culture of winning. So one place that I dug deep into was the forecasting and really creating a model for the business that was clear and what were the goals that we were trying to attain? How did we break down those goals based on the roles that we had within the team, which then enabled us to have fairly clear lines of responsibility? And then how did that translate in terms of actions that we needed to be taken on a regular basis? Now, again, very lucky in many ways because the team that we had at Hopin, some of the best AEs that we've ever had. 
And so there was a lot of clear knowledge about the process, also a lot of institutional knowledge about the products and our customers. And so what it came down to is how do we create the right forum for those strengths to thrive for them while creating you know, a process to help us predict the business and make sure that we were driving towards the outcomes that we needed to get to. And so I dug into that area and then had an incredible revenue operations leader, sales leader, success leader, support leader that leaned into how do we then plan and take those goals down to the individual contributions for each member of the team so everyone knew what they were executing against. Historically, I dug a lot into sales practices. It's critical for a success leader to understand how sales works at your organization. It's the number one determinant of how your customer experience is going to go because success starts from qualification. It doesn't start when you sign a contract. I've been very lucky to work with incredible sales leaders at Hopin, at Salesforce, even beyond that, that have always created room at their table to ensure that the success leadership team understood what was the process in place? What was the positioning? Is it MedPick? Is it Medic? Are you using Spiced? If you're not using Winning by Design, which is where all these terms are coming from, what other methodologies are you using to enable the team? And so I think that created a little bit more comfort for me to push forward. But I'll say like, look, it's not a once and done learning opportunity. One of the key investments that I made in the last year is that I joined Pavilion, which I know you're familiar with as well. Big fan. Yeah, huge fan. And I attended CRO school because for me, it was around taking all these lessons learned that I've had throughout my career and consolidating them into a philosophy of how I wanted to run my team. And that helped me in some ways. Like one of the biggest lessons that I got from it is really having a much more clear perspective on how do you get a deal from one stage to the next? And how do you create a, a very consolidated, predictable set of questions so that everyone's on the same page? I think forecasting is one of those things that can science or art based on where you sit, how many years you've been in sales, how comfortable you are with really calling specific actions into a prediction of whether this deal is gonna close. And even that alone, which was one part of one conversation in the series of discussions that we had throughout this entire curriculum, helped me to come back to my team and just reestablish, okay, what do we mean when we say that we're forecasting for commit? And let's just validate that we're all on the same page. And then what do we mean by best case? And how do we think about all the actions that need to be in place for that to be a true statement? And that helped. And that was a conversation with my sales leader that then percolated down into learning and development, which they were driving at that time as well for their teams. And I find that it's been a really helpful resource for me to go back to the things that I've learned instinctively or being at that table and then confirming what's the approach that I want to take as a leader on a regular basis. You know, a lot of CS leaders, they don't want to be a part of the go-to-market organization. They don't want to report to a chief revenue officer, which is just a glorified VP of sales that only cares about SDRs and AEs. If you had to give three pieces of advice to a VP of CS that is sitting here today that is thinking, I do want to be separate from go-to-market, and I understand that that may not be the right decision, what are three takeaways that they could start doing today? First of all, there is a fear about selling, and there's no reason to be afraid to think about you being in a selling role. Sales is at the end of the day, an exchange of value. And as long as you are very convinced and you're able to convey that succinctly, then this is the value that we provide. And as a result, this is the value that we expect back in terms of pricing for your software. That is sales. This is not rocket science. You don't have to be some kind of an exceptionally new animal. You have every skill to understand what selling really means. Every good seller does the same thing. 
they're authentic. They take the trouble to do the discovery. They take the trouble to understand both the persona and the problem space. And then they're having a logical discussion. So I feel the number one thing that I've seen that prevents some personas within CS to go broader is because they have this fear or allergic reaction to selling. I don't want to be in a sales conversation. Another thing that I think is a myth is if I show up like a seller, I will not be trusted. That's a myth that we should bust because the customer is thinking about commercials. If you cannot have that conversation, somebody else is having that conversation. You want to be leading that conversation. There's nothing wrong in having a commercial conversation. I actually believe it increases their trust in you because you are now putting yourself in their shoes. They're not looking at you only from a CSAT perspective. They're also checking to see, is this still giving me value? And is there another alternative that is going to give me better value? You want to lead that conversation and be able to have that constant selling conversation. The third thing I think is you have to think of yourself as a company leader. You're not a functional leader. You have to think about yourself as in service to driving the company mission forward, driving shareholder value forward, which means you actually bring things to the table that people would love to have, and that's unique to you. You bring insights into not only understanding what the pain is, but you're also bringing outcome stories. So you're bringing this unique perspective that's a value proposition nobody else can bring to the table. If you think like a company leader, you think about selling as something that is a natural outcome that is authentic to you. You think about the long-term outcome for the customer and the shareholders. You then become a company leader that can contribute way beyond what technically your job description might be saying. That is important. You need to understand how you do that.